0: Previously on Jonesing, fentanyl was, was a little shocking to me. I, I think that when we got started, a lot of people were using, you know, brown powder heroin sourced from Southeast Asia. And heroin has they, they call it legs; it's got legs to it. It can last a person, you know, up to like five eight hours um, in terms of preventing uh, withdrawal symptoms. And that's really once you get going on opiates, that's you know, people aren't trying to get high so much as they are trying to stay well.
1: This podcast was produced by the Partnership for Public Health, a nonprofit organization in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. If you know someone struggling with addiction, have them call the National Helpline, 1 800 662 HELP.
0: Thanks for tuning into the first season of Jonesing, our podcast about the science behind opioid addiction. I am Zerubabel Asfaw. We're going to take a look at the state of medically-assisted treatment through the lives of people who are starting it, on recovery, and those who couldn't find their
1: path to sobriety. Medication-assisted treatment. We're talking methadone, suboxone, and Vivitrol. Those may be the best methods we have right now to treat opioid addiction, but not that many people are using them. Less than 30%. We wanted to find out why. My name is Susan Baldridge, and I co-produced this podcast with Zerubabel, a third-year pre-med student. You may have noticed his accent. He's from Ethiopia.
0: And that was Susan. She was an investigative journalist for the past 19 years before coming to the public health field. She has written over 200 articles about the opioid epidemic since it began five years ago in quite little Lancaster County. Also, you may have noticed her accent. She's from Pennsylvania.
1: Some of you may not know what the word jonesing means. We're going to let people in the community tell you what they think.
0: Jonesing
2: is when you need another one. Hey, come on, man! Jonesing is when somebody has already started to get high, or they haven't been high in a couple of days, and they have that craving or desire to get more. So, you know, to continue, continue chasing that dragon down.
1: Brandon Artman, husband, father, former high school football star, recounts his journey into heroin addiction. His story mirrors the lives of many young athletes who were prescribed painkillers after an injury. Brandon abused his opioids and eventually turned to IV heroin. His tale is a familiar one, in an epidemic that has turned many a boy into an addicted man.
2: Now it's Central's ball, minute and a half to play, fourth and eight, Chase Boyer down the middle, Brandon Artman, he's got it! Inside the 10, first down, Mannheim Central.
1: Brandon didn't just play football. He played wide receiver for one of the most prestigious high school programs in the state of Pennsylvania. Mannheim Central, winners of a state championship, and one of the powerhouse teams in this community.
0: In his own words, Brandon recounts how it all started.
3: Sports injury in football, um, I was uh, on defense in football, and I got cracked crack uh, helmet in my rib pads. And they uh, tried to cast me for a total of 18 months and uh, 18 weeks, I'm sorry. And uh, it didn't heal, so I had a surgery. And the first surgery, I was uh, very over-prescribed pain medication. And um, each surgery after that, which was a total of five surgeries, um, I was just way over-prescribed pain medication.
0: Brandon was not the only kid in the country who became addicted to painkillers because of a sports injury. We had the opportunity to interview journalist and nationally acclaimed author Sam Quinones as he toured the country promoting his book, Dreamland, about the opioid epidemic. Quinones said high school sports have become a common gateway to addiction.
1: For years, doctors were handing out opioids for sports injuries, but when there was a lot of pressure from the opioid epidemic, In the news, many physicians cut their patients off. And when they cut them off, some of those patients went to illegal and dangerous street
4: drugs. If we just cut them off, it's cruel. It's, of course, ridiculously counterproductive, and it pushes them into the black market looking for drugs on the street. And that is the worst of all possible uh, solutions.
1: We had a phone interview with Brandon's mom, Amy, who remembers when her son first fell in love with football
2: really until seventh or eighth grade that he blossomed into an athlete. He's just kind of one of those kids that uh, was a late bloomer, enjoyed life, enjoyed his friends, very carefree, very happy-go-lucky, just as soon be on his bicycle then out on the field doing something uh, in sports when he was younger. And then, um, like I said, around his eighth grade year, I think, is when he first went out for football, and uh, something kind of clicked, and he loved it, and he was very good
0: at it. But after Brandon broke his weight bone during practice, a bone in the wrist, the first thing doctors did was put him on pain medication.
2: And it wasn't Oxycontin, Oxycodone, until he had his first surgery. And the first surgery involved putting pins in his wrist. And then he had uh, five more. With surgeries, with the last one being the removal of his entire wrist.
1: The one thing Amy remembers about all the doctor visits that she took Brandon to is they would ask about his pain and then give him more opioids.
2: Looking back, honestly, to be honest completely with you, I have to ask myself, did Brandon pad uh, his answers sometimes in order to
1: get more pain meds? Brandon said getting pain medication from his doctors was very easy,
3: too easy. The first surgery, I will um, say, I was given a prescription of Vicodin, a prescription of um, Percocets, and at the time, this would have been 2010, I was given a prescription of Oxycontin, the OCs, before they uh turned in turn turned them into uh, you know the time release caps or the time release pills and i would uh, i would abuse them at the time too you know i was crushing them up and uh inhaling them but i mean i had all this medicine you know i was taking the oxycontin then i would call the doctor and say these aren't working is there anything else he gave me another prescription of Vicodin. So I still had the Oxycontin and the Vicodin, too, now. So I was just... I had almost an endless supply of these medications. And as soon as I would run out, you know, I would go back to the doctor, and I would almost look for that next surgery. And... Because I knew they were just going to keep giving them and giving them. And, um... They, they did, you know. They, were, I told them I was in pain, and they gave me medication. It was as easy as that.
0: Brandon's family became suspicious of him using so much pain medication.
3: I would go in and I would say, you know, I want the the Roxy's because I already take Tylenol, so I don't want the Percocets because they have Tylenol, and I'm talking with the Roxy's. And I guess that. I was throwing up some red flags. I was asking for, I was running out of my prescription too early and going back too early and asking them. And they said, well, we just gave you 30 day supply. It's only 15 days or it's only 10 days. So I was sending red flags to them definitely. Um, and once they got, once they were catch going to that, they then actually flagged the charts.
2: would go back, I'm in pain. So then they would give him more medicine. And then he'd go back for another time and I'm in pain. And then you go back again and and after having this medicine and then it's, uh, well, you know, we might have to do another surgery.
0: What happened next seems unbelievable. But unfortunately, it's another tragedy of the whole opioid epidemic where people injure themselves, sometimes even their pets, so they can get a prescription for pain medication.
2: I remember the one doctor visit. Um, We sat and they did x-rays and they said uh, to Brandon, what did you do to your wrist? And Brandon said, I didn't do anything to my wrist. And, And he said, you did something to your wrist. Now, again, this is hindsight. I wish I know what I know now, but I think he actually injured himself to get payment.
0: Brandon's parents were advised to take him to a new specialist for his wrist problems, which was right around the time the opioid epidemic was starting to get lots of attention and worrying the members of the medical community.
2: We switched doctors. Leave this guy's really good. Uh, maybe he can have surgery for Brandon, and he'll be able to help him. He's he's well known. We went and then uh, followed up. I'm the one that took him for the follow up visit, and I said to the doctor. I think we could we we may have a problem with pain meds. And he looked right at Brandon and looked at me, and he said, "Buddy, if you have a problem with pain meds, this wrist is going to be nothing to you." And Brandon was just looking at him, and I'm looking at Brandon, and he said, "As a matter of fact." If you have a problem with pain meds, it stops today because I'm not refilling any pain meds for you.
1: What happened to Brandon is just what Sam Quinones was talking about. Doctors gave out pain meds for years for these type of long-term injuries, and that's not what opioids were made for. And then, boom, just stop writing the prescriptions after all the bad news came out about the epidemic. But that's not a good solution, and they should have known that.
0: Maybe they didn't know how dependent their patients had become on these drugs and the wide-scale availability on the street of a cheaper alternative, heroin. Most people did not believe they could become addicted to legal drugs, especially something that their doctor was prescribing for them. So these people are not going in and telling their
1: doctors, I think I'm addicted. I'm not letting doctors off the hook that easy. It's common sense. You can't take a patient who's been long-term on opioids and cut them off one day. That's the whole basis of what MAT is. You give something as a substitute for heroin or opioids, and you slowly wean the patient off.
2: But I think that is when the real falling off the cliff happened for Brandon, because he didn't have a doctor writing a script anymore. And he had one writing them for four to five years. So... Um, no recovery no you know here's how you wean back here's how you and this is where I kick myself but I can't undo so I have to move forward that I didn't know
3: more so uh, one day it was just like you know sorry you're you're on your own um and when you end up like that you know you you're gonna be looking for the next thing. You want you want just something, you know. And then, like I said about the thirties, I were they they were available and um, I could get them, so I did. And that uh, just like I said, that got way too expensive. And uh, once I found heroin, I was like, uh, it's a whole new game, you know. I can, I can stick in a needle in my arm, and it was. Uh, it was 10 times better.
1: Once Brandon graduated from high school, he married his high school sweetheart, Erica. She has very fond memories of what he used to be like in high school when she sat down to talk to us one afternoon.
4: Brandon was part of that, what do you call, like popular crowd. You know, everyone knew Brandon. You know, he was such a great, he's, he's an amazing guy. He's very caring, loving, Outgoing, um, he's a people person, um, kind of, and um, he he just could light up a room. Uh, you know, everyone enjoyed Brandon's company. Um, you could just tell that he was there. You know, he was he was very well he was very well known.
0: Erica knew about Brandon's football injury and that he used pain medication to manage it, but she did not know. He was abusing the medication and experimenting with other drugs until she started seeing some obvious signs.
4: I didn't think much about it, like how bad it was getting till he started getting his DUIs, till it started really getting worse because the doctors weren't prescribing the pain medication anymore. He was getting it off the streets. Um, Things were just really crashing.
1: At some point, his family realized he really needed some professional help.
4: So in December, we decided... Uh, that at the end of December, uh, beginning of the new year, he was going to be going to rehab in Florida. So he went there for 30 days, and that's when he, he tried to call me in two weeks, didn't want to be there, said he was clean, he was sober, he was fine, he was better. And, um, you know, the court said you have to stay there or else I think the other option was for him to go to jail.
0: Brandon stayed in rehab for 30 days down in Florida. But he had a bombshell revelation for Erica once he returned home.
4: Um, So he had no choice. He had to be there. Um, So he was there for 30 days. And then that's when he came back. We went out to eat at Red Lobster. Caught up and everything. Asked him how it it all was. How everything was going. And um, I remember we were talking about how he was telling me how some of the people there were there for heroin. And I was like, well, I'm just so happy that you never got into it. And uh, he just looked at me like, yeah. And I was like, you never got into it, right? And he was like, well, kind of. And I was like, what do you mean kind of? And then he admitted to it and that just destroyed me.
1: Erica's shock about Brandon's IV drug use is a mirror of the rest of the country. She was so shocked and sort of horrified by it, but it kind of mirrors what people thought of IV drug use before this epidemic. They thought someone was going shooting up heroin in some abandoned building somewhere in some city, somebody they didn't even know. And really, this epidemic is hitting middle America, and I mean middle class, white kids, girl next door, boy next door, And I think that was why Erica was having so much trouble realizing that her husband, in fact, was using IV heroin.
4: I know now I look at heroin just the same as how I look at Percocet, how I look at Oxycontin, how I look at any other pain medicine, um, because it is the the same. It's all all a drug. Um, I think the fact that he was sticking a needle in his arm is one of the Parts that killed me the most. Um, Why do you think that? Because I used to... Before I really educated myself on things, um, I used to downgrade those people. I used to talk down on them, saying how if you could stick a needle in your arm, you were sick. I mean, technically, they are. I believe it's a disease. Um, But just like... Just the fact, like, of anyone, like, for you to be able to stick a needle in your arm, like, I just, that's not normal, blah, blah, blah. Like, I just thought those people were disgusting, honestly. Um, And that wasn't godlike of me either.
0: Even though Brandon confessed to his wife about his heroin addiction, like many other people, his life's downward spiral continued
2: he definitely wanted to cut he did not want to involve us we like i said i can't say it any more clear we um, uh questioned him a lot what are you doing today what are you doing tomorrow you're not working how are you getting money um those kind of visits you know instead of enjoying just each other we would end up going back to revisit that
0: Addiction is a disease of relapse, and the most important point that we all need to realize is that it's far more important to get your footing back after a relapse than it is to get sober right away, because sometimes it takes years of relapses before somebody feels strong in his or her own sobriety.
1: Brandon went to five different rehabs and had several relapses before he tried medically assisted treatment.
4: Something that we wanted Brandon to do so badly was go to Teen Challenge, Um, Teen Challenge is a program where you're there for at least 6 to 18 months or something. Um, um, It's a good program. I think that you need to be isolated from everything, from reality for a little while. You need to focus on yourself. You need to get your brain back to normal.
1: It's really hard to tell who's going to make a good candidate for medically assisted treatment. Even Dr. Erica Coulter who's been running a Suboxone clinic for more than six years, has not perfected the art of who will make it and who will not.
5: Sometimes in the beginning, we tend to predict who's going to do well and who's not going to do well just based on you know how they present themselves as they walk in your door, and I have almost always been wrong. Uh, sometimes when someone comes in and it just has a very difficult story and you just know they're struggling and they have no supports, it's... You know, you give them a prescription and hope for the best. And I'm very shocked sometimes they come back the next week and they're totally different um, and everything. Uh, and yeah, and they're doing well. And some people that I think are going to be the most amazing patient and they have all the right tools and they say all the right things. And I'm so excited and I never see them again because they never come back. So it's, it's a very unpredictable uh, part of medicine. Erica
1: was resistant for him to go on the medically-assisted treatment, to go on Suboxone, because she felt it could have been just like substituting one drug for another. She felt like he had a strong faith, he had a strong family, and he should rely on that to work towards recovery rather than get on another substance. But that's a common misconception that methadone, Vivitrol, and Suboxone are just substituting Um, one opioid for another, they work on the brain differently than opioids. So there's a whole different brain chemistry involved in that.
0: MAT reduces the chances of a relapse. But we should also note that it takes a while for the brain to become completely independent from the pull of any heroin or any other opioids. Dr. Coulter has seen many patients struggle with opioid addiction.
5: I think the best treatment for opioid addiction is the treatment that is working. So if that is Suboxone or if that is methadone or if that is strict adherence to uh, Narcotic Anonymous meetings or talking with your sponsor or being in a relationship with your pastor or church activities, that is the best treatment.
0: So with all these options for treatment, which one did Brandon
1: choose? could find out more about Brandon and his journey through his addiction on the next episode of Jonesing,
3: I started stealing. I started to uh, miss work. I just, my life became uh, so dependent on using these substances and just living to, to get high, really.
1: This podcast was produced by the Partnership for Public Health a non organization in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We would like to thank the Lancaster County Community Foundation for sponsoring this podcast series. We'd also like to thank Colonel Collin, also known as CJ Shuby. He's a talented musician in long-term recovery himself. He graciously allowed us to use his music. We'd also like to thank the German news magazine Der Spiegel, allowing us to use the clips of the Brandon Artman interview they did. Catch more episodes of Jonesing on our website, partnershipforpublichealth.org, and find us on Stitcher and iTunes. If you know someone struggling with addiction, have them call the National Helpline, 1-800-662-HELP.